Amen. Those two words, but God, what a difference that makes in a life. Let's stand together this morning, Luke chapter 6 in your Bibles, continuing our series here in the book of Luke, continuing uh, this account of the Beatitudes, our third message uh, from the Luke account of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, and, and uh, it began with uncommon blessings. And we looked there, it said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the weak, blessed are the persecuted. And if we were to ask ourselves, or we ask other people, those don't really sound like blessings. But as we look at it in the eyes of God, we understand our sufficiency must be of Him. And when we recognize of ourselves we are nothing of what we have, it's not enough, we will look to Him, and we will find our sufficiency in Him. And, and last week... The attitude and the charge to behave unnaturally, to love our enemies, to do good, to speak kindly to them, to pray for them, to forgive them. And what a charge that was. And I want to ask you, how did you measure up this week? How did we do when it came to our enemies or those we disagreed with, those who may be opposed to the things of God? How did we do? I want to encourage you each and every day to, to think of that and to just apply that, that verse, that truth to your life. It will make a difference. We look here in Luke chapter 6, and, and you, if you want, look at Matthew chapter 5 as well. Hold your place there. We'll be there in just a few minutes. But Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, it continues the message and says, Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men would do, should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good. And lend hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the thankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be here together this morning and with your word in our hands. And God, I pray right now as we're looking here in Luke chapter 6 that you would continue, God, to give us the truths that we need for this day that we live in. God, that you would continue to help us to be people that love our enemies, continue to be people that are not trying to, uh, Lord, live on our own, but Lord, live with your help, Lord, your blessings, Lord, your strength, your power. That only you can give. Lord, be with me as I preach this morning. I need you. Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach the message you have for us this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. At the beginning of the message last week, we referenced Matthew chapter 5. In the beginning of that account of the Sermon on the Mount. And in that, we looked at verse 16 where it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And we understand the world that we live in is a dark world. 
The world that we live in is a world that is full of sin, a world that is continuing to grow more anti the things of God, anti-Christ, and, and opposed to the truths that we find in the Word of God and to the morals, to, the, uh, to all, all that we find in God's Word and are instructed to do. And as we look at the verses preceding that, he not only told us to be light, but he also told us as Christians we are to be salt. Look there in verse 13. It says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. So we understand in the world that we live in, it's, there's darkness. In the world that we live in, there is a great need for God. And in doing that, we need to love our enemies. We aren't, we aren't going to be able to reach our enemies in returning the hate or returning the, the, the wrongdoing or the evil speaking, will we? We're not going to be able to uh, have what we need from God if we are not finding the blessing that it is to be poor, to be hungry, to weep, to be persecuted because he is our sufficiency. He is what we need. So in order to be the light we need to be, we need to behave unnaturally. We, we need to do it with his strength and, and not just be the light, but we are the salt of the earth. As he tells us there, we are the salt, what, what, what is salt used for? Salt preserves. It's been used for thousands of years to protect things from rot or decay, and that's exactly what we can do in our society today. We look at our country, and we're thankful for our country this morning, but as we look at our country and we look at our world, it is turning from God. It's continuing to get farther and farther away from the things of God. And I believe it's the presence of, in prayers of salty Christians that have done more to preserve what we have to the place that it is preserved to today. More than anything else we could name. So what we need to do today is understand we are to be the salt of the world and continue to stand for biblical values, continue to purpose to live for Jesus and to stand on those things that are right. Salt preserves. Salt also infiltrates. Salt will penetrate or infiltrate whatever it touches. It's a very aggressive substance. You know, I'm not telling you this morning to, to walk out here and be aggressive people to an extent of pushing people away. But what we need to do is understand, as we look back in church history, the early church in Acts chapter 8 verse 4, it says, Therefore they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. And as Christians, we need to be people that are going out into the community, going to our job, going into our neighborhood, going into, our, into the school or, or whatever it may be. As people that are getting the gospel through, spreading the good news of God to others. We are called by the Lord to be an active force in the world around us. It penetrates, it preserves, it also cleanses. Salt has an incredible cleansing ability. We can look in the Old Testament and find uh, Elisha in 2 Kings. He cleansed the waters at Jericho with salt. In ancient times, newborns would be washed in salt to cleanse their bodies and to give firmness to the skin. Salt in a wound can, can cleanse a wound. You know, often Christians that are living as God wants want them to live have a purifying effect on those around them. And, if, and maybe as a Christian, you walk into the room at work, they know what you believe, they know where you stand, and maybe the joke may stop for a second. Conversation may end, and don't be offended when that happens when you come around. Just thank God that you're acting as a purifying force in the world around you. It purifies, it cleanses, it, it also improves. I'm very thankful for salt and what it adds to food. You know, there's some foods that are better off not to be eaten without salt. 
You know, the Christian, just as salt would give flavor to food, the Christian should flavor the world around them. And as salt, we are to live our lives bringing out the best in those around us. That's what Jesus did time and time again, and that's what you and I were supposed to be doing for the glory of God. Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, he said, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Acting as salt in this world will bring change. It will improve. It will help. If you do right, it'll help others do right. If as a husband or a mother you do right in front of your family, it will lead your children or those around you to do right. It can help your spouse do right. It can improve all that that it touches. You know, salt also makes one thirsty, doesn't it? Salt creates a thirst for water in those who are exposed to it. As salt, the Christian has the opportunity to promote a thirst for Jesus in the world we live in. As Christians, we should, we should live, and if you're a Christian, if, you're, if you have a good relationship with God, no matter what you're going through right now, there should be a joy in your life because of Him. And, and we also understand there's blessings that we have that only are come to the Christian. And if we live with the joy of God, no matter what's going on, and if we have the blessing of God on our life, we have the ability to create a thirst for Jesus in the hearts of those around us. And when that happens, when people become thirsty, we can point them to the water of life. Do you agree with me this morning that salt changes nearly everything it touches? We look at our world... Many Christians, unfortunately today, are conformed to the world. The Bible clearly instructs us and commands us not to be. We are to be different. We are to be separated from the sins of this world. But sadly, many Christians are not living that way. We can go a little farther than that. We can look at churches that once stood on what was right, that once stood on the word of God, that once lived according to the commands we find have now conformed their beliefs to the beliefs of the world. Even amongst Baptist churches, you can, in just a little bit, the Southern Baptist Convention is going to be voting on whether to go against the Bible with what they believe, what they stand on or not. Churches are changing. You know, many, church, many people have continued to follow suit, and it's only going to continue to decline. We can expect nothing different. You know, thermometers change with the temperature of the environment, don't they? And here in Texas, our thermometers change quite a bit from, from morning to afternoon. I've, be, I've noticed that more than anywhere else I've lived. You know, also you can look around this morning, and we got four thermostats here. We have one behind me. And the thermostats don't act like thermometers. They have thermometers built into them, but a thermostat can be used to bring things to the right temperature, not to fluctuate in the environment. The temperature can be changed because of the work that it does. You know, as Christians this morning, we are called to be thermostats, not thermometers in the world around us. If you live your life for God, it'll make a difference. If you love your enemy, it'll make a difference. If you find your sufficiency in Jesus, it will make a difference. And we are to be instruments that God can use 
to bring change to the world that we live in, to our society. This morning, I want you to understand, you can make a difference at work. You living the life a Christian should live can make a difference in those few people around you. It can make a difference in the office. It can make a difference in a home of people that are saved or unsaved. It can make a difference. You know, when genuine New, Christian, New Testament Christianity touches this world, it will bring change. And, and we are to make a difference while we are here on earth. We are to be salt. We are to be light. And Jesus, before we got to any of these truths we find here in this message, reminded the people our job as Christians is to be a light, is to bring change. You know, as he continued this message, as we get here to the account of Luke chapter 6, he gave more instruction on how we can make a difference in this world. And the first thing we see today begins there in verse 30, live to give. <laughs> we are to live to give. It says, give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Verse 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your, into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You know, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one of every six verses speak in some form or fashion about money. If we were to look at the 29 parables, we would find that Jesus spoke 16 of the 29 parables deal with money. One, one fruit of the, of the life of a true disciple is giving. Amy Carmichael, a great missionary from many years ago, said you, can't, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. So how are we to give? There's two different ways that are mentioned in our text. First of all, we should give to others. You know, the church and the Christian is called to give to those in need. I'm thankful this morning we're, we're a church with a heart for people. And we need to always be ready to help those in need. But as we have a heart for people, as we live, as God would have us to live and conduct ourselves for the cause of Christ, we also need to trust the Word of God to help us and give us wisdom as we do that. You know, sometimes a person in sin needs to feel the effects of their unrepentant lifestyle. And as we are ready to give, and as we are ready to give to those in need, there's, I believe there's two situations in, in people's lives when we are not obligated to continue to give or to give to a person in need. And the first one would be laziness. That's a person who isn't willing to work to meet a need. There's many people who aren't willing to work because of laziness. The Bible speaks clearly against that in Proverbs chapter 6. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When thou wilt arise out of thy sleep, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth and thy want as an armed man. If we don't work, we can't expect to take care of ourselves. We need to be careful in giving to continue to enable laziness. And the other one where we're not obligated to give is to those in sin. Those who are unable to control their desire for pleasure. Those who are full of lust. Look at Proverbs again. Chapter 20 says, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Hear thou, my son, and be wise. Guide thine heart in the way. Be not among wine members, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. 
need to be careful not to give to feed a wicked lifestyle or a wicked habit. We don't need to give to further enable laziness. And those who continually make those decisions need to come to a point, a position in their heart where they are humbled to a point of repentance where they then can be helped. But beyond those two things, as we look, Jesus instructed us to give. And as we give, we are instructed here to give without expectation of human return. Giving not as an investment, but giving because we love people. Jesus instructed all who heard to give not to lend. We don't don't find that in there, do we? (laughs) He established a principle to give without expecting anything in return, and he says, be willing to give. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7, it says, If there be any among you a poor of one of thy brethren within any of the gates in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thy heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. We are to give to those in need, without expectation of return. And, but we also understand we are, we are to give to the work of God. Throughout the Bible, we find verse after verse, principle after principle on this matter. You know, there was a, a mother that wanted to teach her daughter a moral lesson, so she gave her a little girl a quarter and a dollar for junior church. And she said, put whatever one of those in the offering plate and then keep the other one for yourself. And when they were coming out of church, the mother asked her daughter which one that she kept and which one she gave to Jesus. And the little girl said, well, when I got there, I was going to give the dollar. But just before the ushers came, the, the man in the pulpit said, we all should be cheerful givers. And I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter. It's not just about getting something back or even doing something good it's about our relationship with God the Bible says as I just mentioned there in 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 every man according as he purposeth in his heart so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity for God loveth a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work we are to give We are to give cheerfully knowing we are pleasing God in what we are doing. And give with a belief that God will bless. There in verse 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give unto your bosom. Jesus says if you give, give with a faith that God will supply your need. Many of you, if I say the name W.A. Criswell, will know exactly who I'm talking about. He was a pastor in Dallas many years ago, and he told of an ambitious young man who, want, who told his pastor that he'd promised God a tithe of his income. As we understand, the Bible has given us a biblical principle of 10%, and his pastor had told him that very th- same thing. And at the time, he was making $40, and his tithe would be $4. And in a few years, his income increased, and as he did what God had him to do, as he made that commitment, he went from making $40 a week to $500 a week. And he called on the pastor to see if there was any way he could be released from his tithing promise because it was costing too much now. And the pastor replied, he said, you know, I really don't see how you can be released from your promise. You committed that to God. It's what he wants you to do. But we can ask God to, to reduce your pay from 500 to 40 a week. Then you only give him $4. You know, the flesh doesn't always enjoy tithing. The flesh doesn't always enjoy giving. 
giving to missions. But we do know what the Bible says about it. And we can give cheerfully, expecting God to bless. It's God's desire that we give to him and we can express our love to him by giving. First of all, first thing we see, live to give. Second thing, live by virtue. There in verse 31, it says, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. The word virtue is a moral goodness. Do good. This is, this is shown in two ways. First of all, in how we treat others. We, we should love others as we want to be loved. We should do things for others as we would want them to do for us. And, and we find really a, another version of the golden rule here in 31. He says, And as you would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. Do as you would have others do to you. The golden rule, the name that we have given it over, over the generations. Miriam, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it defines the golden rule. A general rule for how, you to, for how to behave that says that you should treat people the way you'd like other people to treat you. From the moment we were little children, we heard this truth. God's instruction on this is the same in both the Old and the New Testament. In Leviticus 19, verse 18, it says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Last week we looked in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. It says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Jesus, as we look here, is giving these principles to love our neighbor, pray for them, do good to them, give to them. And again, do good and live by virtue. He didn't lay out principles for the Christian of passive resistance. He lays out principles of aggressive love. Not to fight our enemy. Not to push back against them, not to put them in their place, to let them know they're not as good as we are, but to love them. Love them by the things we do. So how can we exercise this truth in our life this morning? One thing we just read there in Romans chapter 12, we should strive to live in peace with all people. If possible, live peaceably with all men. What, What do we need to accomplish that? Fruits of the Spirit are helpful in that way, aren't they? Long-suffering, meekness, gentleness, goodness. Yeah. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, forbearing one another in love, putting up with things, live peaceably with all men. That, that is how we can do good to them and treat them as we would want them to treat us. We could put others first. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So as a Christian, we should live in a way where we are going to put others' well-being ahead of our own. But here's the reality. We can do that, but people often may not treat us in the way we would like. And if we continue to do what we know we should do and what the Bible commands us to do, 
It doesn't exactly mean that people are going to begin to reciprocate that, does it? You know, this could be as simple as you trying to love and encourage other people in this church and them not repaying the favor to you and, and praying for you or encouraging you as you would hope. Maybe ignoring you as you may feel or disregarding you. You know, Paul, Paul's brethren did this to him when he was on trial in 2 Timothy. He wrote to Timothy in chapter 4 and he said, all, he says, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. He was alone. And, and I would imagine as, he's, as, he, as he was going through that, that it probably didn't feel too good for Paul. Because what was his life about? His life was about serving God and loving others. Going everywhere he could to help people. He desired to go to Rome so he could win people to Christ. He desired to build this church, that church, to write a letter to help these people. But those people that he loved, they weren't standing with him at this point in his life. Not just not standing with him, he says, they forsook me. But what did he say after that? He said, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Even though they're not doing what I think they should do for me, I don't, I don't want anything but God's blessings for them. The golden rule is, doesn't tell us to treat others as they treat us, but as we would want them to treat us. And we look there in verse 31, and it says, As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. If ye do good to them that do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them, of ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much gain. So don't wait for good to come to you, for you to bring good to them. Do good now. That's the difference. So that means as Christians, we don't sit stagnant and wait. We take the initiative. We act on these commands. We reach out to do good to others. We, we pray for them. We, we speak kindly of them. We encourage them. We, we help them as we can. You know, the kindness of others is not a prerequisite to this command. If, if people do not treat us well, we are still to show the love of God to them and to help them if, need, if the need arises. You know, treating others right, living by virtue, is based off of a selfless love. As we apply this this morning, first of all, spouses, love each other. Now, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Husband is to love the wife, the wife is to love the husband. And to fulfill the roles that God has intended to be filled. Well, pastor, well, they don't treat me right. They don't do the things for me that I expect them to do for me. They've overlooked this, they've overlooked that, they don't always type kindly to me, they, they don't treat me right. Does that change the command? No. Parents, love your children. In, in Psalm 103, it says, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. The Bible says not to act out in anger toward your children, but raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
There in Psalm 103, it describes a father as one that pitieth his children. That has The other word for that is compassion for his children. A tender love for them. Wanting what is best for them. Even when they don't honor you. Even when they disobey. Even when they disrespect. Even when they aren't around like you wish. Love them. Pray for them. But also speak the truth that is needed to be heard in love. What about other Christians? The Bible says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. How are you doing in praying for the people in this church? Your other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, many of us probably pray for the ones that tell us they pray for us, and that, that's a reminder sometimes to pray for them. But we don't need to wait to know somebody else prays for us to pray for them. We don't need to wait for someone to do an act of kindness for us for us to do an act of kindness for them. We don't need to wait for someone to encourage us for us to have a desire to encourage them. The Bible tells us to bear you one another's burdens, to be long-suffering with each other, to pray for them, to, to be kind to them, prefer them. What about the world? No, this, this text is dealing much with the lending to others. You know, under the law, a man wasn't supposed to charge interest on what he was lent, on what he lent. That lending was more with an attitude of giving, not something that was to be self-serving. He says there in, in verse 34, if you lend to them whom you hope to receive, if you want to profit from them, what think have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much gain. Now the Bible tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. The Bible tells us in terms of the world, we had a whole message on it last week, to love our enemies, to bless them that curse us, to, to speak, speak kindly of them, to pray for them, to forgive them, do good for them. What have you done for your neighbor? What are we doing for unsafe people? Is giving, caring about others, is that a characteristic of you with those that know you at work? The neighbor that may need a tool or some eggs or some flour? Or have we lost an opportunity to be a light or to be a salt because a kid left a ball in our yard or a bike in the sidewalk? Are we doing good to others? So he says, live to give, live with virtue. And the last thing, live by grace. Verse 35, we see that reminder again. But love ye your enemies. And do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your rewards shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. As we look at Jesus, and as, as I'm, so, I'm so thankful... For this whole book of Luke, we've been through to this point, and there's much more to come. I'm excited about chapter 7 and, and just a few weeks. 
But Jesus specialized in being kind to the unkind and showing mercy to mean people, didn't he? He specialized in, in, in showing grace to sinners, as he, and, he, and he loved to turn his enemies into friends. And as we love our enemies, we're showing the character of God to the world and proving we are part of that family. Your life and your actions, your attitude, your relationship with other people should be a family resemblance that even unsaved people can spot. And in a world that doesn't show much grace, we must be people filled with grace. We were just talking with the men the other day and somebody was telling a funny story about being there while the fracking was going on and there wasn't a very nice response in some of the things that he was curious about. There's not a lot of grace in the world we live in, is there? <laughs> Bosses don't always treat us kindly. People at work may try to stab us in the back and get ahead. But in a world that doesn't show much grace, we need to be people filled with grace. Show grace to those who mistreat you. We can show grace by the way we love people. Again, he reminds us, love your enemies. This is a continuous thing, not a, not a one-time deal, something we should continually do, no matter what is reciprocated as we love the enemy. You know, if we truly love someone, we don't give up on them so easy, do we? If a child has wronged us, or a spouse has wronged us, or a family member has, has wronged us, we, we still love them. We still give them chances. We don't write them off as fast. We continue to love them and are willing to help them and we pray for them and want nothing but the best for them. That's the love that we should be showing to the world. What about in our mercy towards other people? You know, there in verse 36, it says, Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. And Jesus is wanting us in our daily actions to reflect the mercy of God. You know, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 145, The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. God is good to all, and we must do the same. We must be good to all people. Show mercy to those that don't deserve it. You know, people are demanding rights and demanding justice, and, and we should not be demanding any of those things. We should be giving mercy in our forgiveness. You know, there in verse 37, it says, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Show forgiveness, refuse to judge. We should be quick to forgiveness and mercy, not quick to judging. The word judge there means to criticize or condemn. It's, it's the fault-finding attitude. It, it's being picky. It's the habit of just holding criticism. It is a mean, critical spirit that only sees bad in other people. And Jesus is talking about looking at people and, and not attempting to judge their motives. But to see a real spiritual condition in their heart based on what you see in their life. And the idea is, is here a judge presuming to know the condition of another person's heart. They can't know that. They can judge them by the actions. But they can't really know what's on the inside. And what we need to do is to leave the judgment to God and be people who show grace and mercy and forgive other people. Let it go. There's people in your life, possibly right now, that you are not able to help. Because you haven't let it go. We haven't gotten over it. We haven't shown grace. We haven't shown mercy. 
And in doing that, we can't make a difference as salt. We can't be a light that they want. It's our responsibility to, to forgive. You know, one reason we judge and don't forgive is pride. But a heart of grace resists pride. The Bible says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Allowing pride in our lives is equivalent to rejecting grace. For only God gives grace to the humble. Who do you know that's wronged you that you can't forgive this morning? Is there somebody you may have written off? Is there a soul of someone that you don't care about? Show grace. As we look at the text here, there's two principles mainly that stand out. We are to give, we are to treat others as we would want to be treated. Which assumes that we all want the very best spiritually for ourselves. As Christians, I would hope this morning that's the desire we have in our hearts, so we must desire the same thing for other people and treat them as we would want to be treated. But what we also see, just a, a theme over all of this, is we must imitate God and be merciful. The most important thing in us loving our enemy, doing good to people, being willing to give, is not that we look good to our enemies, but that we become more like God in our character. It's not looking good to people. It's becoming more like him. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That's the goal. Follow him, become more like him. But but we're here this morning and and, and we see all all the force, we understand who God is. He's God, I'm not. We can never imitate God in all ways. I can never be just like him. We can never truly imitate God in his essence. Because God is perfect and we are not. God is omnipotent. We are weak. God is omniscient. We are fools. God is everywhere. We are here. (laughs) He's a spirit. We are flesh. He's eternal. We are temporal. He's heavenly. We are earthly. He is holy. We are wicked. But when he saved you, he did it with a purpose. And his purpose in redemption was to make you more like him. He says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. His intent with with, with saving you was to be able to bring you to a life pleasing to him. To become more like Jesus. It says to be, you know, to be conformed to the image of Christ is to become holy like God is holy. But book of Matthew, Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Jesus said that's something that, that, that we can move towards. That's something that we can s- progress to, to, to be more like him in our living, in our choices. That's God's plan for us as, as redeemed children of God, as obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. 
if, he, if it wasn't possible for us to live better, to be a light, to be true salt, he wouldn't be giving us these things, would he? You know, we are unable to imitate God through our own power. We, we cannot attain those characteristics on our own. But we can grow in him and become more like him by his spirit. That spirit that has sealed you. It can help you be the Christian you need to be. Help you be the father, the husband, the mother, the wife. The child, the co-worker, the boss. By his spirit, we can do those things. And understanding it's not our own power. Understanding we're poor, we're hungry, our sufficiency is in him. As we understand he is holy, we can strive to be holy. As he is loving, we can be loving. As he forgives, we can forgive. As he is truthful, we can live truthfully. As he is patient, we can be patient. As he is kind, we can be kind. As he has compassion, we can be compassionate. Everything he has commanded us to be, we can be because of him. Live to give. Live with virtue. Live by grace. That is how we can have heavenly relationships in a wicked society. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, God.